just to hear him. God, we thank you for it all. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and thank God. It is preaching time. There is a word from the Lord this morning. Our scripture text will come from the Gospel of Luke, the sixth chapter. And we'll read verses number 25 through 29. Luke, the 10th chapter, verse number 25, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, What is written in the law? And how readest thou? And he answered, saying, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast said or answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, wanting to justify himself, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? From this text, I would like to preach from this thought. This is the title. God I love, but who is my neighbor? God I love, but who is my neighbor? If we would poll most of you in here, perhaps all of you in here, you would profess to loving God. It seems as though God is easy to love. But what happens when it comes to your neighbor? You understand that sometimes neighbors are difficult to love. Love has always been the subject matter of the entire Bible. Every page in this word is littered with love. It is a love letter from God to us, his creation. And what we need to keep in mind is that we are God's most prized possession. It was us that God formulated from the dust of the ground and blew into our nostrils and we became a living soul. This sets us apart from the rest of the animal kingdom. Why? Because God had a plan and a purpose for our lives. And that plan and purpose is to bring him honor and to bring him glory. Along with that, God has given us a free will to be able to choose to love him or not love him. But regardless to the fact whether we love him or not, God still continues to love all of his creation. And he proves that throughout scripture. It is, it is God the one that said that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was God that said, for he commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So all throughout scripture, God is proving his love for us. 
In Jeremiah 31 and 3, the B chorus, it said, Ye have loved ye with an everlasting love. And therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. God has always been trying to get our attention by the love that he shows towards us. It would be easy for God to destroy us and start all over again. But wrapped up in God's love is his patience with us. God patiently waits on us. But understand that that, that, that will not always be the case. There's going to be a time when that patience will run out. And judgment will come. But until that time, we have been commanded to love the Lord our God. That is a command from God. That is not a suggestion from God. So before we begin to talk about how much we love God, where is the demonstration of that love? If God has proven his love towards us, oughtn't we prove our love to him? How are you proving your love to God? Just saying, God, I love you is not enough because folk can say anything. And then go away and do something completely different. As they say, the proof is in the pudding. If you love God, it will be demonstrated in how you live your life. Because Jesus said, and if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. And so therefore, we must begin to look at our lives introspectively. And ask ourselves the critical question, am I really loving God? Well, in the text here, you'll find that if you ain't loving your neighbor, then you're not loving God. You can't love the people that you see every day. If you cannot love the unlovable, come on somebody. If you cannot love your enemies, come on, you're going too far, preacher. then you cannot love God. That's what the Bible says. He said, how can you say that you love me whom you have not seen and you hate your brother who you see on a daily basis? Love is proven through our lives, through our actions, through our decisions, through how much we obey what God has told us. You can talk about love, but I need a love that I can see. If you say that you love one another, where is the proof? This is critical. In the text, it says that a certain lawyer does not give his name, but it does give his occupation. And understand that this word lawyer here in the Greek is not necessarily a lawyer that we know today. This is a person who has been learned, who has been studying, who knows the Old Testament law. As a matter of fact, this type of lawyer was said that he knew the Pentateuch by heart. And he certainly knew every law that was written, all 613 of them. This was a very learned man. He knew what the scripture says. 
The first thing that we see about him is that he is a learned man. But the second thing that we see is that he recognized who Jesus was. Because he identifies Jesus as being master. In other words, he recognized that Jesus was greater than him. Because a lot of times, even when I first read this text, I said that perhaps this man was being sarcastic in what he was saying. But as I began to, to really read it and asking the Lord to give me revelation, to maybe this man was coming with a genuine question, and he really needed an answer to it says that he tested it, and the word that test does not mean one way or the other. Maybe this is something that he really wanted to know. And who better to give you the answer to a question than the teacher? And so he brings it to Jesus. He, say, he says, how can I inherit? What should I do to, to inherit in eternal life? It's a good question. The problem with the question is a good question, but the problem with the question is that there's nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. As much as he tried, this man kept the law. He knew the law. But yet he still found that there was something missing within him. Listen here. All of us that are saved and blood washed had to come to a point to saying, what must I do? Every last one of none of us came into Christ without asking ourselves that question. What must I do? Well, the only thing that you can do to inherit eternal life is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when Peter in the second chapter of Acts preached that message, that fire message from heaven given by the Holy Ghost, the end result was that the Jews began to ask, what must we do? Because the normal inclination of humanity is to do something in which we receive something for. We feel is that we have to earn salvation. That there's got to be something within us. There's got to be some good within us. But understand, there's absolutely nothing good within us apart from Jesus Christ. And that's what makes salvation even the more sweeter because God saved us even though we didn't deserve to be saved. All we really deserved was sin and hell and death. But God exchanged that. He gave us his righteousness in exchange for our sinfulness. Yes, that's what he did for us. So Jesus directs it back to him. And I'm glad that Jesus does this because that is the, the art of a skillful teacher here. Because Jesus could have very easily given him the answer. But notice that he didn't. What he did is he caused the men to think. He put the ball back in his court. He said, what is written in the law? In other words, go back to what you already know. Far too many times in churches, people sit in these pews and they're waiting for us as preachers and pastors to tell you what to do. Well, the whole same Holy Spirit that's living in me is living in you. My job is to cause you to think. And then you go back and begin to work it out by the aid of the Holy Spirit. It's not my job to run your household. But I can give you the tools. I can tell you what the Holy Spirit, what the Word of God says pertaining to it. But that's your job. 
Because what that does, that develops an intimacy between you and God. I was never designed to be the middleman. The middleman is Jesus. And my job is to point you to Jesus. My job is to instruct you in the word of God that you might understand how you're to live these lives. But at the end of the day, you're going to be held accountable by, by what you do in these bodies. And thanks be to God, you won't be able to blame me and nobody else. Why? Because it's been given to you. He tells him, what does the law say? And how did you read it? How are you understanding it? This is a man probably stopped and thought about it, began to reflect, formulated his answer. In verse 27, he answered, he said, and he answering said, that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. This lawyer perhaps said, the A portion of this I got. All of us can love God. And all that the Lord has done for us, it's easy to love God, or at least act like we love God. Because God is so loving. God is so kind until some type of calamity comes into your life. Then you begin to search for answers, begin to search for a way out. And understand that even in our mess, the mess that we create for ourselves, God is still patient and he still loves us. But there are times that God will let you fall, feel the consequences of the decisions that you make. And understand that that's what love really is. Love is not God bailing you out on every bad decision you make. Come on, I need to just be honest with you today. There are some times that God will let you wrestle, he'll let you struggle, and he'll let you see that, listen, that was a bad decision, don't make it anymore. So he has no problem with loving God with all of his heart. But what does that mean? What does it mean to love God with all of your heart? Well, in the Greek, the heart is the center of mankind. It is the depth of mankind. It's what's deep down inside of you. The heart is what makes you who you really are and not necessarily what we see. You see, because we can fool people by how we act. We can fool people even by sometimes what we say. But the reality of it is that the real you is that one that's deep down inside. It is the heart of man that matters. It is not necessarily what you see on the outside. Because many of folk are sitting here on these pews and they have not loved God with their hearts. They've come in here, they sat here Sunday after Sunday, but God wants you to experience him in the fullness of who he is. And the only way that you can do that is with your heart. 
I'm not talking about that muscle, that, 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 that organ that's pumping inside of your chest. That's not what I'm talking about. Because that's going to die and it's going to return to the dust. I'm talking about that person who you are when you all by yourself. When you aren't putting on any pretenses for anybody else. It's that person that you're alone with. That's the heart of man. That's the heart of you. But he also says to love him with our soul. Our soul is the breath that God gives us. God breathed into him his nostrils and he became a living soul. So here what he's talking about is that you must, you must serve God with everything that makes you alive. If you woke up this morning and you're breathing, you are to love God with that first breath. You're to give God your best and your first. This is how we love God from our soul. But then he also talks about loving him from our, 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 our strength and our, and, and, and our mind. And these are kind of like correlated together. Because the, the, the mind is the intellectual part of us. God is also concerned about our minds and what we're thinking. He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so therefore, we're to have that same mind that Christ Jesus and the same love that Christ had for his father, we're to have the same love for the father. As a matter of fact, to love God with your mind and your strength is to love God as much as he loves you. And you may say that's impossible, and you're absolutely right. There's no way we can love God as much as he loves us. But what we can do is we can allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to give us a portion of that love. At least with the best of our ability, love God with what we can love him with. And when we're loving God like we should be loving God, we're obeying God like we should be obeying God. So, so, so here this, 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 this lawyer has a thought that yes, I, I, I love God. But now he turns into what I call a traditional lawyer because that's what we see in him because he comes back and he answers him after saying that. He says, or asks the question, who is my neighbor? Listen here, this is the thinking here. Because if he can put his neighbors in a certain parameter, because you cannot love God without loving your neighbors, what he's thinking is that if I could shrink the pool of my neighbors, if I can X out those ones who are unlovable, if I can put the ones that, that the, you know, the, the, the drunkard and the alcoholic and the drug addict, if I can exclude them from this, if I can exclude that coworker that just gets on my last nerve outside of my neighbors, I can achieve this objective. And that's how we do sometimes. We become selective in who our neighbors are. We become selective in whom we're going to love. Romans 12 and 9 says, let love be without dissimulation or hypocrisy. And what that means is that you cannot pick and choose who you're going to love. In other words, you can't be a hypocrite when it comes down to loving people. 
Love and hypocrisy are not in the same sentence. Because love is genuine. Love is pure. Love is real. So we can't pick and choose. And it seems as though that's what this lawyer wanted to do. And so Jesus gives this parable. He tells him that in verse number 28, he says, And he said unto him, Thou hast answered correctly. But he willing to justify himself, asks, Who is my neighbor? Jesus said, he gives this parable. He says, and Jesus, in verse 30, Jesus says, And answering him, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell amongst the thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed over on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. So Jesus gives this parable. A parable is, is Jesus giving us an example of something that we know, that we, we might understand the unknowable. He's given an example of what a neighbor really is. And understand that Jerusalem was set on a mountain and Jericho was at a lower plain. There was about 16 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. As a matter of fact, it mentions the priests and the Levites, and the reason being because most of the priests and the Levites lived in Jericho, and they would travel this road going to Jerusalem that they might serve in the temple. And so we see that, that, that he said that a certain man does not give the name again because this is a parable. He said, a certain man came down and fell amongst the robbers. Understand, this, this road was filled with, with caves and, and crevices where, where people could hide out and lurk in the dark and come in and rob you. As a matter of fact, there was a portion of this road that was called Blood Road, where people would be beaten and killed on this road and robbed. And I know you thought this just happened in Detroit, but no. It, it happened on this road as well. Sin has always been in this world. But here comes a priest. A priest, the one that should know and have compassion. Why? Because the priest served in the temple. This was like the pastor. He served in the temple. If you can't get compassion from anybody else than, than the man of God, then who can you get compassion for? But he looked on him, and he kept going. And likewise, a Levite, another one who served in an in a, in administrative capacity in the temple, should have the same compassion, but both passed on the other side quickly begin to wonder in my mind what would cause them to walk by this man who had been beaten and left half dead? Well, one of the things is the same reasons why we have. Maybe they thought that this road is too dangerous to stop on. And how many of us will not go into dangerous places? Won't go into certain neighborhoods? There are people who are beaten, battered, and wounded in these neighborhoods. There are people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ in these neighborhoods. Listen here. 
I've watched in some of the most, the worst neighborhoods in the city of Detroit. You used to ever see these white guys on these bicycles with white shirts and black shorts? They're called the Church of the Latter-day Saints. They are Mormons. And they care nothing about the environment. But they have a message that they want to take to this neighborhood, and they take it anyway, without fear or reservation. And here it is, we have the right message that will bring life. But we're too afraid. Too afraid to get up and go. Don't you know that God has you covered no matter where you go? Don't you understand that God has put his arms of love around you, his arms of protection around you? All you need to do is get up and go and help. Be a blessing. How dare we see someone laying in the middle of the street and not at least stop and try to give us some service, give them some service. But we become afraid. We're afraid of everything. And we serve a mighty God. We just sung that. What a mighty God we serve. Well, we don't act like it all the time. Well, what, what about this one? Maybe they felt like, okay, I'm on my way to the temple. I'm too busy. I can't stop and help this individual. How many of us have been too busy to stop and share the gospel with a panhandler? Listen, you don't have to always give them money. You can share a word with them. You can share the gospel message with them. And don't give me this, oh, they ain't going to hear it no way. Share it anyway. That's all you've been called to do is to give them the gospel. You have never been responsible for the results of it. And if you do give them some money, hand it to them and give them a word. Hand it to them and pray for them. Or pray with them. Because far too many times we see people who are wounded and we say, well, I'll, I'll pray for you. Well, then sometimes you need to put some legs on the prayers. There are times we need to get down in the trenches with people. Far too often we judge people and judge their appearance. But we need to be able to roll up our sleeves, get down into the, the muck and the mire, and help them up. Give them a hand up, not necessarily a hand out. But it takes us loving them. You'll never be able to accomplish this without loving them. This is a real love. This is not a superficial love. As a matter of fact, you'll know whether or not you've passed from life unto death if you love one another. That is the litmus test for us as Christians is how we love and how we're willing to go and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is it. This is, this, this is where the rubber meets the road at. Here we have two Jewish people. Jesus is speaking to the Jews and he gives two examples of a Jewish leadership walking by this man. And I really believe that it must really mess these Jews up when he came to the second person. Because quite naturally, they perhaps thought he was going to say, a common Jew came by and helped this man out. 
But Jesus went a step further. Verse 33 says, but a certain Samaritan. Now this must have got their attention. Because understand that Samaritans and Jews were mortal enemies. They did not get along. Jews detested Samaritans. Why? Because Samaritans were considered a half-breed of a Jew. These were the people that were born between the intermingling of the Assyrians and the Jews during the time of, the, of them being in bondage. And so therefore they are considered half-breeds. But he said a certain Samaritan as he journeyed where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And this is key because that's one of the things that we should all have is compassion for our love, compassion and love for those who are hurting. We have people that will come through these doors that are hurting. As a matter of fact, there are people that's right here now in these pews that are hurting and suffering in silence. And that's what I spoke with the deacons about on yesterday. Is that our, that's our job. Our job is to resent, uh, uh, give service to those who are hurting. And so therefore we must be vigilant like the Samaritan. This Samaritan saw this man and he had compassion on it. And not only did he have compassion on it, but God, he did something about it. This word compassion, now, he didn't just feel sorry for this man. It compelled him to do something. He says that he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. So, 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 so this man, this Samaritan, quite naturally, is just as busy as the Levite and as busy as the, as the priest. But he takes the time to stop. It's love that compels him to stop. He says a fellow human being that has failed and was half dead, and he stops. And not only does he stop, but he gives a sacrifice because he pours oil and wine on his wound. The wine was that it might disinfect any wounds that he had. The oil was that it might be able to soothe his wounds. Look at the tender loving care that he gives to this man. Even to the point, look here, even to the point to where he put the man on his beast. That means that he had to walk as the man rode on his beast. Are you willing to do that? Are, are we willing to go that far? Are we willing to sacrifice? I told you the biggest attribute uh, to love is being willing to sacrifice. If you're not willing to sacrifice, then you're not loving. Oh, it got quiet. But that's the truth of the matter. God's demonstration to us in him loving us is him sacrificing himself. And the same is expected of us. There is a plan. There is a purpose for this, this church, this ministry here. And it is to go out and compel them to come in. But we cannot go until we love people like we're supposed to love them. 
As a matter of fact, at the, fir the first verse in this chapter, you know, it says something like this, is that, that, that Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Listen here. He said, pray or ask the Father that he'll send laborers into the vineyard. What he's saying here is that you must first be prepared to go into the vineyard. And that's what I hope to do is that I'll prepare us to be able to go into the vineyard. To go out, it's going to take us loving the unlovable. It's going to take us putting down our own prejudices and our own differences, our own ideologies, our own way of thinking, our own denominations, our own ethnicity. We have to put it down. There are black Christians, there are white Christians, there are Korean Christians, there are a whole lot of folk that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way we're going to do it is that we get our hearts right. I'm not here to try and entertain you. I'm not here to try and make you jump and shout. I'm here to instruct you in the word of God. Because at the end of the day, that's what glorifies God. You jumping and shouting in the pews is not necessarily glorifying God. It's when you come down off that shout, are you living in accordance to the word of God? That is what really counts. It's not how loud you can yell and how, how, how high you can jump. No, it's in how you're living your life. How are you loving people? So this, 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 this Samaritan, who was counted as less than a dog, sees about this man, sacrificed for this man, demonstrates his love for this man, and he takes him to an end. But talking about going above and beyond, this Samaritan take, goes into his pocket he gets his own money. He don't go to the church for money. He comes and he does it himself. You see, there's some things that you need to pay for. There's some, there's some folk you need to be a blessing to. You don't necessarily need to bring them or send them to the church. There's some things that you can do to bless them. This man went in his own pocket and said, listen here, I'm going to give you this two today. Take care of him. For however long it is, nurse him back to good health. And he said, if this is not enough, I'll give you what else is required after I come back. <laughs> That's love. That is commitment unto Jesus. Jesus is giving this parable. This is no one else. Jesus is he's telling this story. He's trying to get this certain lawyer to understand who his neighbor really is. So let's take a look at it. Then. Who is our neighbor? Well, our neighbor is anyone you come into contact with. That's who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is not that person that lives on your left side or your right side. Your neighbor is not necessarily the people who live right in your general community. Your neighbor could be the one that you work with every day. 
Your neighbor could be that person that is getting on your last nerve. Your neighbor is the one that is unlovable, the one that's out there on the street. Your neighbor are the homeless that's out there. That's your neighbor. You cannot narrow the scope of who your neighbor is because Jesus has established that everyone you see is your neighbor. And we as believers have a responsibility to see about the needs of our neighbors. We are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And from the looks of how we're doing our neighbors, we must not love ourselves too much. But most of y'all in here look like you're looking pretty good. You're dressed nice, your hair is done up good, nice, what, if you have any, but. <laughs> but you take care of yourself. You do the things that's needful to, to sustain yourself. What about your neighbors? So Jesus puts it back in his court. He said, of the Samaritan, of the, uh, the, the, the ruler, he said, which of these three is a, is a neighbor? And he had to admit that it was the Samaritan that was the neighbor. Understand that Jesus was a neighbor to us. He loved us with a love that was full of sacrifice, full of suffering. It was Jesus that demonstrated what neighbors really look like because he sacrificed for us. We see ourselves in this, in this whole narrative right here because all of us were beaten, battered, and wounded just like this man in the streets on the Jericho Road. And we needed somebody to come in to rescue us. We looked for other people. We looked for the, the Pharisees. We looked for the, uh, the priests. We looked for the, the Levite. But they were no help to us. We were searching for somebody who might be able to save our souls, that might be able to take us out of this death condition that we were in. Because the wages of, of, of sin is death. We were all dead in our trespasses and sin. But it was Jesus, this Samaritan, that came along and rescued us. Don't you remember how he picked you up and he bound up your wounds? How he disinfected it with the, with the wine of the word? How he soothes you day by day, gives you the strength to get over and get through some stuff? It's Jesus that did this. Jesus played the role of the Samaritan. He looked at us with love and gave of himself. And not only did he give us and he save us, he prepared for our future, just like this man, this Samaritan paid for this man's future. It was Jesus that paid the price. He came down through 42 generations, all in mind to give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Jesus said, I did not come to save the righteous. I came to save he who is lost. He came into this world. Wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Doing good amongst men, healing the sick and raising the dead. But that wasn't good enough for them. 
Because of their hypocrisy and their jealousy, the Jews took him before Pontius Pilate. They delivered him under Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate executed, I mean, gave him the execution orders to crucify Jesus. And that they did. They took him to Calvary's cross. They nailed him on this cross. He's paying the way right here. When he nailed to the cross, when they nailed him in his hands, nailed him in his feet, put a crown of thorns upon his head. He died for us. He paid the price. This is what love looks like. Get a good look at Calvary, because if you really want to know what love looks like, look at Calvary. It's what Jesus did for you. How dare you sit down on the love that you have? He loved us enough to go all the way to Calvary and not just go there, but he died on Calvary's cross. He was buried in a tomb, but on the third day, he rose with all power of heaven and earth in his hands. He died a real death. But he rose in victory. And we have the victory of Jesus Christ. He paid that price. And now we say, how dare we sit back and not share that same love that God has shared with us. He desires for us to go out and to be witnesses. Not taking a blind eye. Because we figure if we don't see it, we're not responsible for it. But, oh, yes, you are. We're all guilty. We're all responsible. Jesus is sitting at the right-hand side of the Father. He's praying for you right now. He's praying for me right now. He's making intercession. Every time you, you sin and the devil comes and accuses you, he is making intercession for you. This is what his love does. It extends beyond this world. And he's coming back again. Yes, he is. And I'll continue to love. I'll continue to work. I, listen, I don't care what you do to me. I don't care how you come against me. I'm going to continue to love because that's what God has deposited down on the inside of me. And I cannot be anything other than that. Because love is who I am now. He's put it in me. And I'll continue to love and to work on his behalf. We thank and praise God. God I love, but who is my neighbor? Well, now you know who your neighbor is. It's everyone that you come into contact with. That is your neighbor. Please stand to your feet. The door to the church is open. <laughs> is there one?